Welcome to the Future of Growth podcast with Agrify. Here, we'll be exploring all things related to cannabis, ag tech, controlled environment agriculture, vertical farming, cultivation science, industry trends, and more. Informed by science and driven by data, episodes will enlighten our audience through open dialogue with thought leaders, innovators, and industry disruptors who are forging the future of growth. Join our host, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer at Agrify, as he dives into the many facets that cannabis and agriculture have to offer. Stay connected with Agrify by joining us on all platforms at Agrify Corp. and by visiting our website, www.agrify.com. Sit tight for another episode of The Future of Growth, coming at you now. Hello, everyone. I'm David Kessler, the Chief Science Officer at Agrify, and thank you for joining us for another edition of The Future of Growth. I'm so pleased today to be joined by an industry innovator, the CEO of Pathogen DX, Milan Patel. Milan, thank you so much for making time today to share your story with our listeners. David, thanks for having me and, and to this show. Look forward to, to it. Thank you very much. We're thrilled to have you. Maybe, Milan, we can talk a little bit about what Pathogen DX is and your background and, and how you got involved in the cannabis industry. So uh, with that, you know, give us a little bit of rundown on yourself and how you got involved. Yeah, I, I have a uh, I basically have a uh, master's in biomedical engineering and, a, and an MBA, uh, although I found myself in uh, in the biotech uh, and uh, the bioscience side of the sector by investing in the parent company to Pathogen DX um, out of uh, Tucson, Arizona. Uh, what I had identified when I was an investor of that company is that my partner, Dr. Mike Hogan, who was the inventor of a very low cost disruptive technology to target for uh, diagnostics and specifically in clinical and human diagnostics, had developed something that was quite revolutionary in uh, in in sort of uh, in detecting and quantifying uh, any particular uh, you know um, sort of target, whether it was a human body, uh, environmentally in the food or in in sort of the agricultural side of it. And so, um, the the quick uh, nutshell of all of this. Is, is that after investing back in 2009, there was very little money left in, in the market. As we all know, we had the financial market meltdown. And there was literally, you know, you went from six companies out of uh, 10 getting funded in that were pre-revenue uh, that needed funding to roughly three out of 100. So essentially all the capital dried out in the market. And so we had to think, uh, you know, outside of the box. Um, and so essentially, I took a step back as one of the investors and said, we, we, need to, we need to figure out a different pathway. There had been roughly about $12 million of um, in National Institute of Health funding in the platform already, specifically on organ diagnostics, organ transplant diagnostics. But it was really a very small, niche market, not really big enough for any investor to get excited. And so we had to think much bigger. And... And so I took a few steps back and I said, where is it that specifically uh, we can go 
uh, that you know doesn't necessarily need a significant amount of capital to commercialize this technology. And we knew that in diagnostic space, at least you would have to go through the FDA for your particular test or diagnostic uh, medical device to get through. And that would take three, four years and millions of dollars. So we really didn't have much of an option. So uh, the, the answer was essentially the cannabis sector. And so, you know, we, we had to go show that this technology uh, would deliver in terms of the proof of the pudding, that it, would, that it had real value to its customers. And so that's how we got started specifically in the cannabis sector by, you know, reaching out at that point in time, this was 2014, where specific labs were just starting to form up. There was state level regulations. The assumption was that, you know, we could get through the state regulatory process initially to show that the technology was really delivering value before, you know, uh, addressing and, and uh, addressing the federal side of the regulatory process. And that's how we got involved. That's fantastic, Milan. We're very happy you did. And just for our listeners, I'm not sure everyone is familiar with what Pathogen DX offers. And if they're thinking about it in cannabis, that's actually only one of the many different uh, areas in which Pathogen DX technology is being adopted. You now have DetectX, you have QuantX, you have EnviroX. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what the heart of the technology is and why it's an improvement over, say, traditional plating culture. Love that question, and thank you for. Um, so yeah, we're a platform diagnostics company, and you you sort of encapsulated perfectly. What we do is we uh, we we deliver testing equipment and testing kits, and you you brought up. DetectX, Quantex, and EnviroX. What is different about our technology is I want us to take go back about 130 years when Julius Petrie invented the Petri dish. And essentially, anything that was, what the technology does, it tests for bacterial, fungal, and viral pathogens. And, and, and the way it does it is it does it by what's called multiplexing. So it, it, it basically tests for all these pathogens in the same reaction, in the same test at the same time. So this, a simple analogy is we all know what, a, what an abacus is. And when we were kids, we would move the bead one at a time across each of the rails. That's how testing has been done and continues to be done. Doesn't matter whether it's cannabis, food, or other markets. Now imagine when you're using our technology, there's 10 beads on a rail and you're moving all of the beads on that rail plus every bead on every rail all at the same time. So now each bead represents an individual bacterial or fungal or viral pathogen. And that's how we've sort of, that's the, that's the, that's the technology we've delivered. So what it does is it significantly reduces the amount of time to result because you're not employing an Adam Smith assembly line model one at a time. You're now testing for all of the the bacterial and fungal organisms that are critical to, for, for example, in the cannabis world, it's salmonella, it's pathogenic E. coli, STEC1, STEC2, and it's four aspergillus species uh, that are pathogenic. So there's seven organisms that need to be tested in each and every one gram slam, sample of cannabis, whether it's flower, and in some, certain cases, non-flower matrices would require E. coli and salmonella. So that in itself, is how the technology sort of has disrupted the way 
microbial and or molecular testing in the cannabis sector is, is sort of, you know, is done, but at least using our, our platform. That's fantastic, Milan. To make it a little bit more relevant to the listeners, my grandmother was a phlebotomist. And if you're not familiar with that, that's the person at a doctor's office that would prick your finger, hopefully just your finger, and draw blood for blood samples. Now, that said, when they needed to run a test on your uh, triglycerides, that was one blood sample. And when they need to run a test on your... um, level of fats or whether it's the amount of cholesterol in the blood. That's another sample. So what you're saying is that the technology that Pathogen DX developed while applicable to cannabis is also able to take that multi-testing, multi-sample approach, no more pricking 10 fingers. Uh, You can essentially take a singular sample, run multiple diagnostic assays, and arrive at a uh, very strong conclusion, a very valid result from those tests. Exactly. And and, uh, part of that, that's exactly it. It's you're getting multiple multiple diagnostic tests out of one sample, okay? Mm -hmm. Whether it's triglycerides, it's LDLs, it's HDLs, it's it's even other, other targets. And so... And the way we do that is 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 essentially, uh, you know, when you look at our microarray, it's a glass surface with a lot of different little probes on them. And these probes represent an individual genetic sequence for a specific target. And so, you know, in in the case, and so what that does is it drives a, a, an incredible amount of specificity. If you're looking for one target, let's just say you're looking for Staph aureus whether it's aphorias in cannabis, or if you're in a hospital situation, you're looking for MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant aphorias, then we're able to truly identify it and lock it in. And I want you to think about, in a very simplistic manner, our technology does a, I want to give you the analogy of, everybody uses a five-digit zip code, but then they never add the, the extra four digits on the nine-digit zip code. I want you to think about the extra four digits, and that's how, those are the extra four digits that we lock in the targets we're looking for in the sample because there's a that probe is a physical displacement on the glass after you take an amplified material. After you've taken a sample, you've, you've sort of broken into the cells of, of the target. You've gotten to the DNA. You multiply, amplify the DNA, and then you drop it into our well, and it binds. So it's like a zipper. It's a single-stranded uh, DNA strand that now binds to that probe. And that's that physical displacement where it locks in. So you get 100% specificity that you're definitely sure that you've got it. And then we, within that well, we've printed, for example, Staph aureus in three different locations. So it's best out of three. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a single test. It's three tests for that particular target. And the beauty of all of this is it provides almost 10 times better uh, accuracy compared to other DNA methods like qPCR. And the reason why it does that is because when we when we amplify that particular sample, we're taking it what is called endpoint PCR. So the, the chemistry you're using to amplify that, that uh, DNA in that sample is basically you're using it to its endpoint, meaning you're consuming all of that reagent, that primer, to its endpoint until that last strand of DNA has been amplified as opposed to qPCR, which stops working after a set threshold. So 
What this does is, is it, it gives you that certainty and accuracy and specificity as opposed to other methods, going back to your point. That's a really phenomenal answer, Milan, and thank you so much. And we'll definitely dive into, uh, you know, how you're turning these probes, these glass chips, if you will, in the arrays into multi-unit uh, testing. But one thing that you mentioned, I just want to kind of dig into one of the challenges, a lot of cultivators look for organic solutions, and some of those organic solutions involve creating what is referred to as compost teas, essentially brewing high oxygen, uh, water cultured bacteria and fungi that are beneficial, and then using those as an alternative to chemical fertilization. Mm -hmm. um, with that, we as cultivators have run into a problem because a lot of the test labs do not speciate. They do not break down the individual pathogens for particular uh, species, which then allows you to be testing and fail for what would be considered beneficial pathogens that are have no risk. So it sounds like one of the advantages your technology has with the zipper you described would be that you can achieve speciation. So you would allow a test lab to say that while this particular form of uh, E. coli is dangerous, there are other pathogens that are sprayed on the plant that aren't at all harmful whatsoever and should not count towards the total count uh, at all. So is that true? Does your technology allow speciation? It does. And in fact, in fact thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we have a particular, you had mentioned the EnviroX. We have a, a test called EnviroX in a single well. We have up to, I think, 37, close to 40 species in a single, single well. So that's a single swab that you would, you, would, you would either use at a grower or a cultivator site mm -hmm. where you can swab if it's, not, if it's the canopy, if it's the, you know, if it's the trim, you know, if it's the, the flower material, as well as non-product, uh, uh, like, uh, for example, uh, 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 like an air, air vent or a drain or, or a water, water uh, faucet. And the reason what, what it does is in, in this particular test on the EnviroX, we've basically, um, we basically allowed to speciate across 37 to 40 pathogens all in the same species. Now, the good news is we've not only included all the, uh, in, and in that particular test, you've got both human health pathogens that can hurt your and my health, but also plant pathogens. So such as things like Fusarium boitritis powdery mildew. So you can also quickly identify where, you know, the, um, the, 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 the presence or the prevalence of, uh, of those particular harmful pathogens to the plant itself. And then within even, even within that same test, we have the, the good pathogens such as bacillus. Bacillus is a pathogen that's in yogurt, for example, and that's, that's beneficial. So we would be able to tell if you get a very high relative fluorescence reading off of one off of our test to know that there's a high concentration of bacillus off of something that's beneficial in your sample, in your sample result. And that would address, you know, sort of your point around how we can tell and differentiate not just the species, but the level of con concentration in that particular test result that would be indicative of how much presence there is. In, in, in the sample you've collected. Milan, this sounds just like you have invented the better mouse trap 
compare to what the existing technologies that are in proliferation and use today, qPCR, DNA microarrays, even gene sequencing, your technology seems to be adding real value. Is there an additional cost or maybe a, a time factor where this testing takes longer than some of these traditional methodologies? So is there a detriment on the cost or, or temporal side associated with Pathogen DX? It's actually quite the opposite. And I love the point that you brought that question up. Um, the beauty of our technology is one, when you look at qPCR, qPCR's ability to um, for accuracy isn't as high as our our endpoint PCR, which I brought up in, earlier in the point. And so what that what you need to do with the samples, with qPCR is you need to enrich the sample for at least 24 hours for, for bacterial pathogens and 48 hours for fungal pathogens. So by the time, if you're using qPCR in a lab in cannabis testing space, you're gonna be getting results that are a plus two to three days. For our technology, it, we don't need to enrich the sample um, in the cannabis testing space. And the, and the reason why is we've got that amplification power, that, that the, just the discrimination horsepower to be able to not necessarily need to enrich the sample. So our results are delivered within the same day the sample comes in. In fact, within six to eight hours, once you start processing. So we've literally compressed the, the, the when we started this conversation about Julius Petrie. You know, Julius Petrie, did, you know, if you're really using plate culture, you're taking three, five, seven, and maybe up to 10 days if it's a fungal organism. Now we're down to one day. The second thing is because of the multiplexing nature when you're targeting multiple pathogens, we flatten the cost curve. So in qPCR, you're having to use on a 96-well plate individual wells for every one of those specific wells for uh, testing each and every species. So if I said seven specific species, you'd have to use seven wells in a 96-well plate. We only need to use one well and less consumables, less labor. So our cost is actually a fraction of the cost of, you know, qPCR and other, and even sequencing. In the case of um, the clinical diagnostic side, the good news is that we were, we were awarded, uh, we were on Operation Warp Speed on, on scaling up COVID-19 diagnostics, and they selected our technology. And so now we're one of a few companies that are that are actually scaling up um, variant testing. And if you look at the number of variants, there are there are a dozen variants on the COVID side that they want to track, of which there's 30, 30 mutations. So in the case of qPCR, you'd need to use 30 different wells on a 96 well plate. We only have to use one. So it just is a fraction of the cost and a fraction of time to address your point. That's fantastic. And I just want to dial this conversation back a little bit. I realize that not all of our listeners uh, took advanced chemistry and biology and so forth uh, through their educational class uh, and, and tutelage. Um, so with that, maybe we can just at a very basic level talk about uh, plate culture versus well testing and just what that's involved. I mean, my fingers still hurt remembering filling up sample wells in uh, in uni uh, because you had to do the droppers individually. We didn't even have the fancy multiplex droppers. But maybe you can just give us a quick recitation on, you know, the original uh, plate culture and, and how that kind of evolved into Pathogen DX multi-well testing and technology. Yeah, so when we talk about uh, petri dish testing of plate culture, you start off with 
generally, let's just say you start up with one gram of flour in cannabis, you put it in a broth and actually you homogenize it. And so you let it, you, you know, you, you basically let it sit there for a while and you put it in an enrichment broth. And so what it does is that particular, what that enrichment broth is, it, it promotes the growth of anything that's sitting on the, 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 the matrix or the substance that you're trying to identify if there's E. coli or salmonella or aspergillus. And so that enrichment broth ha- works a certain way to promote the growth of a, let's just say, E. coli cell. And they, at that point, what you're doing is you're growing a lot of E. coli cells. Then you streak that, that uh, and then you put it on a, on a, on a plate culture. And then, then you see basically how many colonies actually grow on this little Petri dish. And you look underneath a micro, microscope and you count the number of colonies. And these are called CFUs, colony forming units, to determine the presence and if, and if it's quantitation, how many. And that's sort of a multi-day process that takes a lot of labor, but more importantly, a lot of time. It is much cheaper, but the accuracy is not that good. And it's very subjective to the human eye. If you and I were looking under and we were running the same test, I don't think either of us would come with the same result off of the same flower, essentially, at the end of the day. So it's very subjective and highly variable. If at all, the accuracy of plate culture is half a log above and below a specific threshold. So if you're looking for something at a thousand colonies and you're at a half a log above, then you you could go as high as 5,000 CFUs above. And then below below 1,000 colonies, you can go down to 500 CFUs. Think about that variability. Now, for molecular testing like qPCR, which is well-based, or even DNA microarray like ours, what you're doing effectively is you're taking the same sample, but in the case of qPCR, you still need to enrich it because at the end of the day, it's a molecular test. And what you're doing now is you're not necessarily growing cells and then counting those cells. Now you're growing cells and then you're breaking those cells open to get to the DNA. And then you're sort of cracking those cells, get amplifying the DNA, and then basically getting a result. Now, the beauty is, is that instead of it being three to five or seven days for plate culture, you're turning QPCR into what maybe a two to three day max uh, turnaround time. So you shortened it. But the problem is, off of one sample, you could get bacterial and fungal tests, you know, uh, you know, all together on a microarray where it's multiplex. But in the case of QPCR, you have to use individual wells for that. And that goes to your point that your hands get tired by having to individually pipette it in seven different wells for one, one, one sample. Whereas in ours, you just have to pipette it once in one, one well, because you're now looking at all the pathogens in the single sample in the same well. And that's sort of the difference between the two. Thank you, Milan. And I think that that's very helpful in really understanding and appreciating how Pathogen DX is delivering a more accurate, more cost efficient, and a faster testing platform. And not just for cannabis, but you mentioned COVID, you work in the food environment or the food uh, sector as well. But 
you know, when we talk to cultivators, you know, what I continually hear is that they want more feedback. They want more biofeedback on their plants. They want to understand pathogen presence earlier. They can then eradicate it. How do you see cultivators utilizing your technology to improve their results? Yeah, great question. Brilliant question. Um, I think before the before a pathogen winds up on the actual plant or the canopy or the flower, it never really wound up just you know on it at the time it was it was sort of grown. So it it and it ended up somehow airborne uh, to a large degree. So there's in a in a cultivation facility you get a lot of sporulation, meaning these the spores of these pathogens are are airborne and they wind up landing as a fomite, meaning on the surface of the of the plant, or if it's soil borne like aspergillus. So so a method to approaching this is is yes, there's there's compliance testing that's mandated by the states. You have to test those the, the product for consumption because it needs to be uh, safe, pure and healthy. The approach to helping growers is we with our environmental, with our EnviroX product, collecting an air sample, because as I pointed out, a lot of the spores are, are in the air and then doing high, you know, high touch zone surface swabs, you will be able to identify basically in terms of the environmental composition of pathogens in your grow to know how to remediate it or sterilize those locations before it reaches the canopy. And in our EnviroX, we've got, as I said, close to 40, uh, maybe even 50 pathogens in that one swab or air collection. And by, by doing environmental monitoring earlier, it'll help avoid it getting on the plant. And then you're having to then, you know, getting fault, you're getting test results that may not be making you happy because you'll be non-compliant or they will, you'll have failed samples. And then the cost of the, the economic burden on that is very high because you will lose it the economics of not being able to sell your product at the high value that the market commands. Because as once as soon as it's, it has come some kind of pathogenic failure, some states allow for remediation, but not all states okay. do. So you have to now sell it for a fraction. So going back to your point, the EnviroX is a clear product, but the, that's a now solution to help growers help identify it so that it, it, it helps them. But the, the key takeaway and you're bringing up a brilliant point, David. It's around putting these practices in place that other industries already do, such as the food manufacturing industry. They use hazard analysis critical control point where they are mandated by the USDA to surface swab anything that's product touching. So where am I going with this is we've already developed a product where the hockey puck is going from a federal perspective for the growers, right? These growers need to employ CGMP vis-a-vis HACCP or start thinking about what would it take. We've built out the tools and the technology to help them do that. And now it's sort of saying, let's, because at the end of the day, what's going to happen is with, on the food side, HACCP will be implemented. But if you're growing medical marijuana, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to um, basically comply to pharmaceutical grade level CGMP for medical purpose. So think about that for a second at the FDA level, what that kind of regulatory requirement is gonna take in terms of 
SOPs and CGMPs, and and so these are the these are the these are the the options we have in terms of um, technologies and solutions we can help growers to use now to put into practice a quasi CGMP and HACCP model to be able to get their their operations to that level when when it finally becomes federalized. Milan, that's great. And I definitely want to dig into CGMP and HACCP because those are two things that I work very closely with in a facility design and as well as a SOP best practice uh, purview. But before we do, mm-hmm. maybe we can take just a moment uh, to understand the testing process. You mentioned swabs, you mentioned samples, air samples, water sample. Um, is this testing technology something that cultivators can do on their own? Do they need to collect uh, material and send it to a lab? Do you have technicians that come out? Maybe we can understand how this technology is incorporated into the actual facilities operations. Yeah, thank you for asking. In terms of environmental monitoring, um, swabs are for surface testing. Uh, we would air collect for air, air testing and water testing, as well as you can take do a swab or a water sample collection. The way that it would work for uh, a grower is essentially we would send out um, a basically sample collection, such as swabs or cones. And then we would uh, what we would do is it's easier. We would direct them on where to collect those samples. Then they would send it back to our lab in Tucson or the labs that we have, we have almost 110 labs across the country in probably, you know, close to over 25 states now, you know, at the end of the day, and then getting those samples to those labs, they will run the swabs, they can run the air collection cones and and or water samples, and they will be able to tell you what they found. So, it's not something that a grower, unless a grower, the multi-state operators have their own QAQC labs. If they do, we can then retrofit our technology, our testing technology equipment in those labs if for multi-state operators. For the non-multi-state operators, our, our recommendation is, you know, we can we can send you the swabs and then we can run them or our or our network of labs can run them. Thank you, Milan. That really helps in terms of uh, understanding there. And just one more question on that kind of front. You're sending your samples off to a third-party lab, but this is traditionally not what I would expect for state-required and mandated testing of samples. So this technology, at least at current, is really focused on improving the cultivation environment, uh, improving the health or the safety of food or the virus testing. But uh, when it comes to cannabis testing, it's not an independent third-party lab that would suffice in place of the required testing. This would be in addition to, to give cultivators more uh, understanding of their facility and the pathogens they're in. That's correct. It's an, it's an environmental profile or a spectral map of what's existing in, in, uh, in within a grow that they're they're producing their uh, they're, they're you know cultivating their crop in so it gives them a sense of what's really if I, if you and I had a grow today I would I would employ this this uh, environmental monitoring monitoring approach because then over the course of a 365 day window I would know exactly where pathogens are cropping up which vents 
which drains, which touch points, where the airflow is in terms of what's landing across my canopy. Because the 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 cultivation facilities have fans. They've got they've got they've got an airstream growing. They've got a water stream growing, and that we would be able to identify over that period the the highest risk areas where you would see pathogens cropping up. And then that would give them the map of how to how to manage that on a go forward basis, rather than sort of the firefighting that's going on right now. Milan, I love that you're talking about mapping a facility, because I think that as we discuss this, it would be helpful if I related a, a past experience. So I was brought in on a consulting operation. They were seeing E. coli in the cultivation samples, as well as a significant amount of gray mold in the flower. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we had to look at was the environment, because pathogens such as uh, Botrytis, they require a host species, but also an environment suitable to proliferate. So once we determined that, unfortunately, the environment the cultivators were using wasn't tightly managed and the uh, uh, fungi were able to multiply, we then looked for the sources of that contamination. Because as you pointed out, a lot of this is airborne and then it'll find the host, it'll land. It can also be waterborne and delivered through irrigation or splashing up onto the plants. If cultivators aren't, for example, sanitizing their sprayers and leaving IPM chemicals and water in the actual spray chambers, you can very quickly culture pathogens that you're then applying to your plant instead of trying to uh, prevent the problems. So if we were to take a facility that was suffering from, oh, let's just say, something really dangerous like aspergillus, Mm -hmm. what would be a quick roadmap to understanding the source of that contamination? How would your team instruct that cultivator to test their facility? Yeah, we've we've already had a couple of case studies where we were able to identify in each of the rooms of a cultivation facility. The first and most important thing is airflow is is the number one culprit. And and knowing the sources of airflow, whether it's a fan or a vent, basically uh, swabbing that on a regular basis to understand if it becomes a hot zone for buildup of pathogens, whether salmonella, E. coli, or aspergillus, for example. Because once, once, you, once it starts building up, then you're kicking that out in terms of spores, and it's landing in sort of a jet stream, if you may, across that canopy. And so swabbing... The, not just the the air vents and the and capture and and collecting the uh, certain collecting certain air samples along that jet stream as well as swabbing uh, the canopy uh, you know along that jet stream will give you the root 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 cause and effect uh, model that you need to know exactly mm-hmm. the cause and effect of of where pathogens are building up within the facility and where it's it's actually winding up on the on the plant. And so that that sort of approach we do, as well as the highest touch point zones, such as like water hoses, you know, um, water tanks, drains, you know, door handles, you know, even, for example, and, and the vents we've mentioned. And then in some cases, you've seen, for example, a high degree of uh, uh, prevalence of salmonella mm-hmm. where, you know, people are not washing their hands. You know, they're actually using their cell phones and then they're touching, you know, uh, 
for example, the util- you know, they're touching the equipment and then that's, that's another source of, of contamination uh, in terms of it spreading. And so this is, we, t- we tend to work closely, each and every facility, they don't all look alike. So you have to exactly have to go in there and work with them in terms of that ap- approach to set, to set up a, a uh, basically a touch point in terms of what, what areas are you going to swab, what areas are you going to collect water samples, what areas are, what, where are you going to collect air samples, and then you would continue basically collecting over a period of time, let's just say over, over one season, so that you, you can actually map that. And then, because remember that a lot of this is a function of temperature, humidity, air, and light, right? At the end of the day. And so when you don't know what it's like over a 365-day window, if, if we just test it in winter at some point, we might get a different profile versus what's in the summer. So you need to know what that would look like. And then we would know if you're monitoring the temperature and the humidity within the grow, you'll be able to know exactly that relationship between what's growing more between a pathogen at a set location relative to humidity, light, air, and temperature. I hope that. No, that was very helpful. And you bring something up, you know, that this is an ongoing testing process that people need to understand the tests aren't a one-off, that this has to be done repeatedly to fully appreciate what the hot zones or potential sources of contamination are. And it's why AgriFi uh, spends so much time working on facility design to limit unnecessary personnel, to limit uh, product flow to a single direction so you don't recontaminate something. You can limit workflow or the movement of people through the facility to improve biosecurity. All of these aspects need to be taken into consideration because they ultimately play into the pathogen potential and then the output potential of a facility. So even small decisions, you mentioned people not washing their hands. That's a problem that we deal with on the cultivation side that we deal with in any industry with employees. But when we design a facility, we go as far as to try and make this as efficient as possible and as biosecurely safe as possible. So for example, anyone using a traditional sink with hand knobs in a cultivation facility is adding unnecessary risk. You either want a foot kick or a hip kick so people's hands can remain clean when they shut off the water so that they don't recontaminate themselves and then go on to contaminate the facility. So it's just a little bit of forethought into best practices. And you mentioned GCMP, I'm sorry, CGMP and HACCP. And HACCP is the hazard analysis and critical control points. And it's something that I learned in cultivation from the food industry, where we were, for example, marking each piece of equipment that would touch a particular crop and color coding that. So Mm -hmm. you never accidentally would cross contaminate, say the blue pair of scissors with the red pair of scissors, Mm -hmm. red pair of scissors went to one room, blue to the other. And by limiting the cross contamination, you improve or reduce the potential incidences of disease. And so these are very basic fundamental principles that are incorporated into HACCP. Maybe you can talk a little bit about CGMP, HACCP, and what the need is for a better designed facility and and why it might take a little bit of time, additional forethought, and maybe even a little capital up front. But how does that 
translate into long-term operational success for cultivators and clients? Yeah, great question. Really great question, David. My, my view about this is basically having, uh, you know, having got to really learn a lot about the food side of it and what's going on on the USDA side that's mandating uh, HACCP is that anything that's consumption oriented where it's food product, it's uh, food, t- uh, food product touching, meaning if it's a conveyor belt, right, in a facility, then essentially what HACCP does is there's zone ones through zone fives. And zone ones are essentially where you get, you get the, the food is touching key surfaces in a manufacturing facility, you know, each and every day. And it, it, they, they mandate that you have to swab those surfaces and have, the, have record of the test result at those locations, right? And in particular case in food, you know, you're testing for salmonella, you're testing for listeria, you know, listeria monocytogenes. We've had the clear example of bluebell ice cream, which, which basically, you know, got it, got themselves into a deep trouble because essentially they had a huge listeria monocytogenes break. And it was for different reasons, but they were mandated to the, the, the mechanism by which food manufacturers and vis-a-vis when we get federalized, food cannabis manufacturers and maybe, you know, will be mandated, potentially mandated is under the same framework. So zone ones, every day you have to sample X times. Zone two, you know, maybe once every three days. Zone three, so zone four would be like a, you know, potentially a drain or, you know, non-touching food contact surfaces. So there's a, there's a, there's a basically a, 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 you know, standard operating framework that, you know, food manufacturers that have been, have been doing this for years um, to, to mitigate the transfer of, let's just say, listeria that's on a conveyor belt on each and every, for example, you know, egg cart, you know, the eggs rolling out, right, for example. And so the, the approach to all of this is, is essentially uh, the, benefit, the benefit of all of this is once you're not, when you're producing a lot of product as just like in a cannabis facility, facility, you don't want the transference of that pathogen across all its product, and then it goes out, and then it, it, there's an outbreak. And so this is sort of a, a USDA-mandated model that's been in place for many years. On the CGMP side, on the cl- clinical um, or medical side, the FDA w- requires, and, and I'll give you an example, for pathogen DX, we have an FDA EUA test for COVID-19. And we have to comply to ISO 13485 as a manufacturer, as well as CGMP. And what does that mean? That means that we have to monitor the incoming raw materials from all of our suppliers. We have to do quality checks every day. We have to record those quality checks. And so if there's an adverse event, meaning if somebody that doesn't has an adverse event with respect to our medical test or medical device, the FDA will ask us for records all the way through and through with that particular test to make sure that did, did, uh, did the raw materials comply to quality standards. So in the case of medical marijuana, I fundamentally believe under pharma, the pharmaceutical model, the same will be applied under CGMP framework just as well 
that cultivators will need to monitor the quality of water, the quality of soil, the quality of all of the anything that they they use as a as a direct or indirect source to grow medical marijuana. And this is this is just what it is because you know they that they've had too many they've had too many outbreaks in past and too many issues for them to do something different. I hope that helps. It really does. And I think it goes directly to this quote, which some people will argue about, but to you can't manage what you don't measure. And if you can't measure something, then it's really hard to improve that and improve that process. And while you can use subjective uh, observation and say, oh, it, it seems better, the flowers are healthier. If you're not monitoring, if you're not measuring, you're not going to be able to see any actual improvements. And so your technology is affording all operators this ability at a lower cost with a greater accuracy and a reduced time factor, the ability to start measuring what is only going to be in their best interest. As federal legalization occurs, we absolutely expect that the same overarching strategies for monitoring and ensuring quality standards that have been employed in other industries, such as food, uh, are going to be adopted into cannabis. And for those early adopters that build their facilities to higher standards now, who adopt this technology, these best practices now, they are going to be able to take more market share as less involved, less forward-thinking operators run headlong into changing regulations. So with that, Milan, what is the future of Pathogen DX? I mean, obviously, it would be great if the FDA could approve it as a cannabis testing device. But the fact of the matter is the FDA doesn't approve anything uh, related to cannabis because, in fact, it's federally illegal. So where do you see the future of Pathogen DX going and, and what's exciting you uh, about the technology and uh, your future with Pathogen DX? Yeah, our, our ultimate uh, vision is to set the standard in molecular testing that everything that's pathogen related, whether it's, it's environmental, it's human that infects us, such as what we've been through with COVID globally, it's the food, it's agricultural, and it's water. Because we are at war with pathogens and we continue to be at war with pathogens. So we, what we want to do is provide the world a much better technology that's simpler, faster, and more cost effective or affordable to target what we're getting bombarded with. And this is not just in the case of just bacterial pathogens or fungal or viral. It's also in the case of antimicrobial resistance and antibiotic resistance. And what we want to do at Pathogen is to address this all in a single test or in, in, in the least number of tests in a multiplex fashion. So that, that, that point you brought up, David, about data, that data is very meaningful for a, for a cannabis cultivation grower, for a, for a, a multi-state operator. It's very meaningful for a food manufacturer. It's very meaningful for, a, you know, for basically um, a, a, a clinical lab that's running our tests for COVID or respiratory infections. Right, and the more data we're able to provide at the law, at the fastest in the fastest turnaround time, they can 
use they could use that data very meaningful, not just for the patient and the customer, but even their operations. And so we we are already we're already standing where the hockey puck is going. We intentionally decided to participate in Operation Warspeed. We're one of 33 companies that's scaling up COVID testing, primarily because we wanted to get the stamp of approval from the FDA with our technology that when cannabis becomes federalized, that when they, they need to start to put in regulatory framework around microbial or pathogen testing in cannabis, they already have a record of us working with, with the FDA. And I think it's very critical that more from a philosophical and ideological perspective that other industries continue to have major outbreaks. The food safety industry is a 30, $40 billion industry. It's three times larger than the cannabis, cannabis industry as a whole. And they have over a thousand outbreaks. So we need to be realistic to know that we will have our share of outbreaks and what can we do differently by employing the right technologies, the right business practices and operational practices. And, with the, and the most important thing is the right mindset. And if we take, take advantage of that mindset of learning from these other industries and employing those practices beyond just looking at the dollar, right? The dollar is important in terms of making money, but there's, there's a cost to this. And, and it's really a fractional cost because a lot of this is you and I, if we're running our cultivation facility, we would say, okay, what can we do at a grassroots level? No pun intended, but to put in these practices such as a quasi-HACCP, a quasi-CGMP, what will it cost us? What are the basic things that we can start to do it in a stepping stone phased approach that when it finally becomes federalized, it is not going to be a shock and awe to us, you know? Milan, I think that's a phenomenal strategy, getting yourselves associated with the FDA, getting their stamp of approval and doing so on such an admirable, uh, admirable task, which is helping to track COVID and be able to provide quicker testing and responses for a global pandemic. So thank you for your participation there. But I think it's also critical that you know, one of the big takeaways from chatting with you today is that cultivators need to look to other industries for best practices. We are not siloed. We are no longer in basements or out of the sunlight, if you will. As this market has evolved into a thriving legal industry, I think that we have to start looking at ourselves as scaling commercial enterprises. And what that means is we can look to the food service industry for traceability. We can look to the best practices around reducing contamination in manufacturing uh, facilities. We can adopt better testing protocols and do our own internal QCs to make sure that we as business people, as entrepreneurs, as cultivators, uh, really provide the best output of product and give ourselves the largest runway for future growth and expansion. And so with that, I just want to touch on, on one more note, uh, Milan. I know that the, the term consistency is important to you. And whether it's consistency and validity of testing or consistency of the flower chemical profiles produced or the fact that that flower is uh, pathogen free, uh, 
Maybe you can talk a little bit about where consistency fits in with Pathogen DX and the future plans and how it integrates to cannabis. From a, from a great question. So for us, uh, as, a, as a technology, when, when we do everything that's at a molecular DNA base, we're already built in the consistency. And when we do it in triplicate for, we do triplicate test testing for E. coli or for salmonella or for each of the aspergillus species for every flower that is uh, tested, for every sample that is tested across the 110 uh, 10 labs that we have across the country. So we've, we've built in what is called redundancy, the redundancy that employs, automatically employs that consistency in testing. And so the variability that comes around, across that result is a function of what you are growing at the end of the day. And so to a large degree, it could be the human practice uh, at the lab level. So we've, we've, now tr- we've, we've also built in the, almost a fully automated mechanism to reduce the human error when somebody is actually running our testing technology, right? So uh, along the, the, and then as a company, when we, in terms of consistency, the, the approach we're taking is, you know, we're being uh, consistent in, in how we use our technology across all of these different verticals, because it's no different than when you're using a romaine lettuce leaf, okay? Or for example, a nasopharyngeal swab or a cannabis flower. It's how you deal with that work, that sample and get to that, to, to basically that, that DNA. So everything we built on the back end is the same, regardless of whether it's clinical, food, water, or even cannabis. It's the front end on how on where we spend most of our time in ensuring that the consistent, there's a consistent approach to taking that sample and getting to the DNA. And that's how, how we've employed our even our uh, working across these different different sort of markets and verticals. I hope that sort of helps address the question. It really does. And I'm thrilled that Pathogen DX has expanded well outside the realm of cannabis with DetectX, QuantX, and EnviroX. You're now doing actually with QuantX, uh, total yeast and mold, which is an incredibly valuable uh, test for cultivators. And so if our listeners, Milan, would like to learn more about Pathogen DX or any of the product lines, how would they get a hold of you or how would they research more about Pathogen DX? Great question. So just visit our website. Um, uh, you know, you can visit our website at www.pathogendx.com and just reach out through contact us. There's an info email and, you know, and our our um, our technical team, our customer service team will reach out directly to you. Uh, if you've got an interest in environmental monitoring that can help, you know, your facility in identifying these pathogens that will be more proactive in establishing the first footing you want towards HACCP and or CGMP, you know, um, or if you're interested in the DetectX and Quantex for co- compliance testing and you brought up Quantex. Quantex is the world's first quantitative microarray that can quantify the amount of yeast and mold. And, and growers find yeast and mold in, in, important because of their humid condition. They're all going to grow yeast mold. The question is, what's that acceptance level? And so we've got the world's first test that can be done in less than five hours, as opposed to three or four days, 
where you don't want yeast and mold growing on your, you know, recreational or medical uh, cannabis product. Imagine waiting three to three to four days for your plate culture to grow that much. And then you're like, oh, my God, my canopy spread another 30, 40, 50 percent when you can do it earlier. So reach us out through our website and, you know, we will we would love to talk to you. We would love to educate you. We would love to share with you about our technology and how we can help you. And even if we don't, it'd be great to connect up with you. At least we, we've made a connection and a relationship with you all. So. Milan, I, I thank you so much from me personally and from all of the listeners here at The Future of Growth. We appreciate you coming on and sharing about your technology. And uh, anyone that is interested, please go to pathogendx.com, ask any questions, connect with Milan and his amazing team. And just one last note before I sign off for the day. To your point, Milan, about how testing can take three and four days for yeast and mold, I just want to remind everybody that the growth and transmittance of fungal pathogens, bacterial pathogens can be exponential. So that three or four days isn't just a small incremental increase in the potential pathogen pressure you experience. It could be absolutely exponential. So early testing, routine testing, accurate testing, and of course, with Pathogen DX, low cost uh, and fast, you're going to be in good hands. Milan, thank you so much. To the listeners of the future of growth, I look forward to speaking to you on our next episode. Take care and be well. Thank you, David, for this great opportunity. And I couldn't have said it better myself. So I really appreciate this, this one hour. Uh, great questions and really truly enjoyed it. Thank you. It has been my pleasure, Milan. Thank you so much. I hope to have you on again. Yep. Everybody have a great day. Take care and be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Future of Growth. We love to hear from our audience. Have a great idea for a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover? Thoughts you want to share? Reach out to media at agrify.com. Don't forget to stay connected with Agrify at Agrify Corp on all platforms and by visiting us at www.agrify.com. See you next time for another episode of The Future of Growth.